God have mercy on, okay. (laughs) All right, so Father, we thank you for this time as we get into the word together. Lord, we bless you. We thank you so much for the power of the word of God. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we love worship. We love the move of the Holy Spirit. We love the anointing. We love the gifts of the Holy Spirit, etc. And Lord, we thank you for your presence. But Lord, where would we be without the word of God? We'd be lost. We'd be confused. And Lord, we thank you so much. The word is an anchor in our lives. And Bible prophecy is just so validates the word of God that even thousands of years ago, things have been prophesied that have come to pass very accurately and are still come to pass. And so, Lord, as we look at the word tonight, I pray that your Holy Spirit move upon every one of us, that everyone that's going to be hearing this, the Holy Spirit move upon us and give us good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, even right now, that there be an anointing, that the Holy Spirit... Uh, will breathe upon us and help us to get locked in and focused on what you're saying because some, sometimes there's so many distractions. Jesus said this, you know, the seed, the enemy would love the seed to fall on uh, rocky soil or the birds to steal it. But Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit to help us to be good soil of hearts and minds and lives that we're good soil. We have eyes and ears of the Spirit that we can see, we can hear what we couldn't before, but the Holy Spirit helps us and to not be distracted, but we're focused in our minds and, and we're really getting everything out of this that we need to. And Lord, as you speak through me, your word is living seeds of truth sown into good soil, the water by the Spirit, and will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. Let there be a washing of the water of the word. Lord, let there be your word like a hammer will break through the strongholds tonight. Your word will be like a sword that's going to be able to penetrate And Lord, your word will go out. Let the winds of your spirit carry this out through the internet to the nations, wherever this needs to go. Let it find its way there. And Lord, we thank you for it. And we know, as Jesus said, the birds try to steal it. That's the demonic. We agree together as a church right now. We submit this unto you. We resist the devil. We bind up anything that would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. In the name of Jesus, we bind you right now. Back off right now and lord we thank you for your angels clearing that out and lord we stand on the promise your word will not return void but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do we expect it we agree together as two and lord we thank you for everything being accomplished and through this time that you speak through me everything that needs to be said in jesus name we pray amen all right so if people don't know a lot about the bible they usually at least have heard of the mark of the beast so I'm just going to devote this sermon entirely tonight to the mark of the beast. The next couple weeks, we're going to look at the story that of Hanukkah because it's connected to end time prophecy, and that feast time is coming up anyway. But we're going to look at a few sermons about that, how it prophetically speaks of epiphanies as like the Antichrist and all of that, the seizing of the temple. So it's, um, that's next week and the week after that. But we will come back to this, and when I do in a few weeks, I'm going to talk about some of the more controversial things in the Bible, like the Nephilim and some of the things how Satan might be trying to mess with human DNA, which we might touch on some of that tonight, actually. But we're going to look at a lot of interesting things over the next couple months, okay? So how many of you guys have enjoyed learning about Revelation? All right. Well, we're going to look at Revelation chapter 13. 
starting with verse 6, and we're going to go through the first part of 14, so if you just want to follow along. Um, in Revelation chapter 13, I'm just going to read it. It says, this is speaking of the false prophet, okay? Not the Antichrist, but the false prophet. And it says, he causes all, everybody say all, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or their forehead, and he decrees that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark. And so there's a lot about this mark I'm going to talk about after we read all this. But I just want you to remember that it says you won't be able to buy or sell. And isn't it interesting, when John wrote this, think about this, is 2,000 years ago. There's no way back then that you, it's even conceivable in your mind that somebody would be able to make the entire world take a mark and then know if they took it or not. It's inconceivable. Not only that, but you wouldn't be able to buy or sell without it. So this is something that John was foreseeing thousands of years in the future. And now we're moving into a time, and this isn't really in the book of Revelation, but it's in Daniel. The Bible in Daniel predicts knowledge would increase in the last days. And we've seen, think about just like 120 years ago. Think about 1900. People were, you know, still going by horseback, horse and buggy, things like that. I mean, just in these latter days, and Daniel predicted not only knowledge would increase, but people would go to and fro. He's talking about the increase of travel. Just 120 years ago, people, it took people a long time to get somewhere. Now, you can go across the nation in a couple hours on a plane. And people are traveling all the time. Some do it for a living. They're constantly traveling. Daniel foresaw that people would be doing a lot of traveling and there would be an increase of knowledge. And so now we're moving into a time where technology is such that there could be some kind of a mark on the right hand or the forehead that you would not be able to buy or sell without it. And we're in a technology now to where people could monitor everybody. And society's been moving for a long time in a place of a cashless society. Think about even back in the 80s, it was inconceivable that everything would just be on a debit card, straight out of your bank, that you could do online banking on your phone or tablet. I mean, most things were cash or you'd write a check. We're moving more and more and more to a cashless society. So things are going to get to a place eventually to where there's going to be some kind of a one world economy. Not to say it won't be called different names in respective countries, but there's going to be some kind of a one uh, unified currency, unified banking system that they're going to be able to monitor everybody and you won't be able to buy or sell without that mark you're going to have to use it so think about that there's going to be a mark one day that will be maybe some kind of an implant or something some kind of a tattoo something on the right hand or the forehead that you go through the grocery store and scan your hand or they scan your head we're not that far from this. I mean, come on, think about it. Even your phone now, you, it, you know, recognizes your face or recognizes your thumbprint. We've been, we've been moving this way for some time. All right, so this is on the very near horizon. All right, so this is actually the false prophet. You cannot buy or sell without this mark. And it says this, um, here is wisdom in verse 18. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for the number 
is that of man, and the number is 666, so 666. So the reason why you get the number six is because man was created on the sixth day, and then on the seventh day, God rested. So the number six in the Bible speaks of sinful man, fallen man, and this is where you get 666. Okay, that's what it's referring to here. So I'm going to talk more about that here in a moment. I want to read a little bit more, but I want you to see that it's an economic mark. You can't buy or sell without it. And so God is, what did Jesus teach us? He said the greatest evil is what? The love of money. Not that money itself is evil, but the love of it is, is the root of all evil. So there's something there where God has given us in the body of Christ the opportunity because he loves us he gives us the opportunity to be givers with our tithes and offerings and he deals with our hearts to where we're not greedy we're not selfish and he's dealing with that love of money getting rooted out of us see and that we love being givers so that is a protection in the days to come people that have a love of money and they have unresolved issues are going to be inclined to take that mark and it's going to be hard on people because as you enter into the tribulation time, anybody that doesn't take that mark is going to be severely persecuted. And how are they going to eat if they can't buy or sell? So there's going to be a lot of starving Christians that refuse to take the mark eventually. All right, so this goes from Revelation 13 down to Revelation 14. And a little bit of a change here, Revelation 14 verse 1 and it says this then i looked and behold the lamb was standing on mount zion so this who's the lamb jesus mount zion here is a reference to the heavenly jerusalem or the temple of god in heaven and with him now look at who's with him now the hundred and forty-four thousand who had his name and the name of his father written on their foreheads that's interesting if you go back, we've already read Revelation, what was it, chapter 7, I believe, where God sealed them, put a mark on the 144,000. You remember that? So God put some kind of mark on them from him, and he sealed them, and they were protected. But isn't it interesting now that we're getting from the first three and a half years are over now, and now it's starting to look at the last three and a half years. And where are the 144,000? They're in heaven. Some people believe from this, I'm just going to give you guys some different views and let you draw your own conclusions, okay? Some believe that the 144,000 will be supernaturally protected and then they'll be raptured. Some, some believe that, some teach that. Because suddenly they're in heaven here. And then others believe that the 144,000, while they were evangelizing, they were severely persecuted and martyred. And so they're in heaven because of martyrdom. So either way, either way, they are 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are radically preaching the gospel. So let me rewind here and kind of explain this. I think it'll help paint the picture better. So the way things are going to play out according to the Bible is this. We're going along and one day, like a thief in the night, Jesus is going to catch away his remnant bride. And it's a meeting in the air and it's, it's something that is like a thief in the night. It's a suddenly, it's a catching away. And once that happens, you have to understand that all of the really 
powerful Christians, God, I don't think that we really understand how much incredible spiritual authority that we really have in the earth. See, the Lord Jesus Christ himself has invested his authority in the church. And when you deal with a unified group of people, the apostles and the prophets and the pastors coming together and we, we have powerful prayer meetings and we're taking authority, there, there's a tremendous amount of authority in the earth. Now understand, all of a sudden, all of those type of people that are really sincere in their faith, they are broad without spot or blemish. They're wise virgins with extra oil. They've made themselves ready. Those people are going to be gone. And the only professing Christians left are those that were not really right with God. And there's no real significant spiritual authority with those type of people. You understand? So anyway, there's this, gonna, this rapture, this catching away takes place. And then... The focus moves now from what God was doing in the church age back toward Israel. So once the, the remnant bride is gone, I believe somehow that is connected to what is restraining things. You remember reading that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Paul said there's a restrainer and once that's removed. I think somehow us being gone also plays into this restrainer being removed, okay? So the Antichrist now, he's able to really come to full power because the great spiritual authority of the true church in the, in the earth really praying and being used of God, that, all that pretty much, the powerful Christians are gone. And now the Antichrist just simply moves into great power in the political scene. The false prophet emerges. And what's going to happen is, I've explained this a lot, so I'm just going to move quickly. The Antichrist is a political figure, and he's talking about peace among the nations. And when he's doing this, what's going to happen is, is that eventually he's going to sign a peace covenant with Israel. And it's going to look good. But for the first three and a half years, the people that are going to be severely marginalized and persecuted are going to be professing Christians because they refuse to take the mark in the society you understand once that rapture happens all these christians out there that were playing games that are worldly that are out of church that are backslidden that aren't right they're going to start getting really serious about their faith all of a sudden the churches are going to be full the following weekend and they're going to be praying and crying out, saying, Lord, forgive me. Just like Matthew 25, the wise and the foolish virgins, they're going to be knocking on heaven's door in prayer. Don't forget about us. Take us too, but the door is closed. And so they're going to get serious about things, and the Lord's going to be with them as they repent, and he's going to give them his grace, and he's going to forgive them. But they're going to have to endure the great tribulation, I mean, the tribulation time is going to be great trials and difficulties. And that first three and a half years is called the tribulation. The last three and a half is called the great tribulation. But anyway, this first three and a half years, the Antichrist and others, there's going to be a lot of persecution against God's people, the Christians. Many will be imprisoned and killed, and many will starve because they refuse to take the mark. Then... Three and a half years into this, the Antichrist sits in the temple and Israel refuses to worship him and his idol. And so the Antichrist unleashes his wrath, his fury against Israel. 
the last three and a half years, this is what we're looking at here. The 144,000, they're gone. They're in heaven. See, that first three and a half years, the 144,000 were Jewish evangelists that God sealed them to protect them. And they were used very powerfully to evangelize for the Lord. They were preaching the gospel. But either they were raptured or they were martyred, which I suspect martyred them. But they're gone. Now the Antichrist is in the temple and he's declaring himself to be God. And now the Christians, and obviously the 144,000 being Christians also, they've either been killed, imprisoned, whatever, great martyrdom there. Do you remember reading where it says the tribulation saints and they were under that altar because they were martyred? Okay. All that has happened. Now the focus is on Israel completely. And the Antichrist is going to unleash his wrath against Israel. So the first three and a half years, the 144,000 are killed or, or raptured. Christians have been treated that way. And so it is the wrath of the Lamb. It's like the wrath of Jesus against what people are doing against, against his people. But the next three and a half years is going to be the wrath of the Father. And it's going to be the great tribulation. And God is going to raise up those two prophets, Moses and Elijah, who will be prophesying during those days. He will still have a voice. And the, the bowls of God's wrath, the seven bowls are going to be poured out. And it's going to be severe. Uh, this is the, the Bible calls it the great tribulation. And Jesus said about the last three and a half years, he said it's so severe that he said no flesh would survive except those days were cut short. So those last three and a half years are going to be terrible. But what you're seeing here is in the middle. The 144,000 are gone. But this is what it says about them. I, behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion with him, the 144,000. They're in heaven. It said his name and the name of the father was written on their foreheads. That was that seal. He said, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, like the sound of a loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of a harpist playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one was able to learn the song except 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are celibate. Now understand that may have a dual meaning, which I'll explain later. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been purchased from mankind as a first fruits to God and to the lamb. And no lie was found in their mouths, for they are blameless. So they're pure. And God kept them. God sealed them on their forehead. He kept them. And they were faithful to be his evangelist in the earth. And now they're in heaven. All right. Then there's another vision in 14 that says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven. You guys ever read this before in, in Revelation? It says, I saw an angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth. And every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of waters. So this literally could be an actual angel flying overhead shouting this to the earth. But some have wondered, 
if it doesn't have to do prophetically with now that we have satellites up there that were not in John's day. And through satellites, you can beam different signals of preaching the gospel all over the world. Does that make sense? So some have wondered if that's not a reference to that. And then verse 8, And another angel, a second one, followed him, saying, Fallen, fallen. Now notice it says it twice. Is Babylon the great? She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality here has to do with idolatry, which I'm going to explain. But fallen, fallen. The reason it says it twice is because you have a spiritual and then you have a, a natural Babylon that's going to come down. All right, and that'll be explained more in the future. That's why I'm not dwelling on that. Revelation 17, 18, we will deal with Babylon, okay? And this is what I wanted to get to and focus on the mark of the beast. But see, it's interesting because the 144,000, God in Revelation, I believe it was chapter 7. It's in my note. Yep. Revelation 7, 1 through 8, God had previously sealed them. Isn't it interesting? God sealed them before so that they wouldn't be susceptible to this. All right. But look at this, the doom for the worshipers of the beast. Revelation 14, verse 9. Then another angel, a third one, followed them. So the first one's proclaiming the gospel. The next one is foretelling Babylon's great fall. And then there's one, a third one behind that. And it says this. If anyone worships the beast in his image. Now I want you to notice the emphasis is on worshiping. Did you notice that it says about the 144,000 that they, they were sexually pure? There's, there's something about that I'm going to explain here in a moment. Because in the Bible, many times for you to really understand Isaiah and Jeremiah and other prophets, you have to understand this. God equates people, um, okay, when people worship the one true God, that is viewed as being faithful to him, being loyal to him. But when Israel would worship idols, he, says, he said about them, they are being unfaithful to me. They're supposed to be a spouse to me, but they're committing immorality with a harlot. You see, you have to understand that that's the terminology in the Bible that God gives to idolatry. And so he viewed when Israel would forsake him and turn to idols, he viewed that like they were committing adultery. So he equated it with sexual immorality. And so there's probably a dual meaning here with the 144,000 that not necessarily are they just virgins and sexually pure, but it's saying that they refused to commit idolatry. They stayed faithful to the lamb. They stayed faithful to God no matter what, and it ended up costing them their lives. That's, I believe that's what it's saying. And then it goes on to say in here about Babylon. Babylon will fall, and it says that who made the nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. In other words, the Babylonian system of Satan will be replete with what? Idolatry. They will worship the beast, the Antichrist, and they'll worship his image. Does that make sense? So God equates idolatry with immorality. All right, 
then this will make more sense now. Then another angel said, if anyone worships the beast and his image, so they've committed immorality against God by doing that, you see. He said, and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength. Now, we're dealing with the second half of the tribulation time. Severe, severe wrath of God. It says, mixed with the full strength in the cup of his anger. And he will be talking about those that, that worship the beast, worshiped his idol, took his mark, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. So this is obviously hell. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. And those who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write. Now think about what God's saying here about the last three and a half years, the great tribulation. It says here, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Think about that. That's how severe things are going to be. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors for their deeds will follow them. Now this is going to be a tremendously difficult time, the last three and a half years. So let me just give you a few things to think about and again, I'm not finished with this subject completely. I want to, in, the, in a few weeks from now, I want to look at the Antichrist. I want to look at him being like a last Nimrod. I want to look at how there's multiple names associated with him other than just the Antichrist. I want to look at globalism, etc. Okay, But tonight, I just want to focus on this mark and give you some things to think about. So number one, we saw last week and this week that the whole world is going to be worshiping the dragon, which is who? Satan. So eventually, the Christians, the first part of the tribulation, all the Christians are being killed off, the 144,000 martyred, I believe. And the earth, it says about the whole world, that the whole world is going to worship the dragon eventually. It's going to get to that point. And they will worship the Antichrist. They'll worship him like emperor worship in ancient Rome. The world is going to worship his image, his idol. And they're going to take a mark associated with him. So this is just, I'm going to give you things tonight to think about. I wonder, you know how in the Far East, you know how there's the symbol of the dragon? You know, the dragon... The reason why that was so strong and pervasive there is because Christianity was not there very much for so long, you know. So Satan kind of had his way in the Far East for a long time. And that worship of the dragon took hold there. There's a lot of symbolism. I just wonder if somehow the whole world, there's going to be some kind of like dragon insignias and things all over the world. People associating with that, associating with the worship of the dragon, which speaks of Satan. Makes you wonder. Again, I'm just giving you things to think about. And I already explained six is the number of sinful man. 
So somehow this mark is going to have a 666 associated with it. And here's just some things. I'm, I'm just giving you things to think about that I find interesting about the mark. In the Hebrew culture, when Moses gave the law, God spoke to Israel and said, I want you to write my words of the law on the doorpost of your home and your gates. And I want you to write it upon your, your head and your hand that you not forget it. So Israel took that literally and created the mezuzah to be on the doorposts and gates. And there's something called teflon, which in the New Testament was referred to as the phylacteries, remember? And you've probably seen it. There's a little box. But this is interesting. The box will be on the left hand, and it's tied with a leather strap around fingers up the arm. But the reason it's on the left hand is because the left arm is associated with the heart. And then it's tied on the head, and it actually has a little scroll in it that has scripture in the left hand and the head. I find it interesting that that was something Moses gave Israel. And to this day, Teflon is used among the real religious Jews. I find it interesting that Satan ends up creating some kind of a mark that's on the hand and the head. I don't think that's an accident. I think it's some kind of a blasphemy, some type of a mockery there. And what concerns me, and I'm just going to put this out there, because people are going to do what people are going to do. In America, I just say this as something in love, but as an American, I can say this. America, one of the strong men over America is rebellion. And that's a strong spirit in our culture is rebellion. I don't have time to keep going on about that, but it's given place to a strong Jezebel spirit. But the Bible... I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The Bible does not smile upon all the tattoos and the piercings and the marking and the cutting up of the body. The Bible does not smile upon it. And God isn't smiling upon it at all. But we've been seeing in the last couple decades, especially here in the last decade or so, we've been seeing an explosion of tattoos and piercings even among people that profess Christianity. Here's what I feel. And I say this in love, just trying to help people. You mark my word and remember this. This is not an accident. Satan is creating a culture that is extremely comfortable with marking their body. He's desensitizing them to where they're going to feel very comfortable taking the mark of the beast. And I personally believe from being in the ministry a long time and praying with people in the altars and operating under the anointing and seeing people set free from things, the various types of tattoos and piercings of different kind, cutting, uh, branding the flesh, that maybe was an initiation into some group or some kind of gang or something, all these different markings associated with the body, they have some kind of a defilement about it spiritually. And I have seen many people through the years set free because of these things. Like it brought something upon them that was not of God. And it left when we prayed over them about it. So I've seen that so many times I could tell a lot of stories. So just know that I know people, 
you know, we're living in a time when rebellion is strong and you can tell that and there's still people that's going to go right out and do whatever they're going to do. But they'll reap the consequences of their actions in their body when they defile themselves and open themselves up to things. But I'm just telling you as a pastor, as a man of God, that God isn't smiling upon him. And it is something that the enemy's trying to do to society there. All right, and another thing. You remember how it said about the Antichrist that he had some kind of a wound. Something, and it seems to be in the head, that should have been fatal, but he was raised up. So you're dealing with some kind, see, Satan being the dragon is going to be a counterfeit to God the Father. The Antichrist is a counterfeit Messiah. He's like a counterfeit to Jesus Christ. And the false prophet's going to be a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. And this is some kind of a mock of the crucifixion. See, the Antichrist is going to have some kind of a, what should have been a fatal blow to the head somehow. And it's going to be as though he died and then was resurrected. And it's going to appear miraculous. And people are actually going to be, who is like this guy? I mean, he came, it's like he came back from the dead. To, and it's going to promote some kind of worship about him. I wonder if also the mark of the beast, because I'm talking about the mark tonight, I wonder if it would not be some kind of a association like a loyalty to him. And let me explain what I mean. You can see in society today where maybe there's some kind of a social justice issue that comes up and people want to rally to that. What do they do? They'll, they'll wear some kind of a t-shirt. Maybe they'll get some kind of a tattoo or something about them that they're standing with that issue over there. I wonder if the mark of the beast is not going to also have an element in it where because he was wounded in the head that people aren't going to take kind of a mark of association like standing with him and his social, social justice to bring peace to the nations and, and in the wars. And so they're taking a mark to associate with him, like a, an act of loyalty to him, worship to him. Just something to think about. And I already talked about the seal of God on the 144,000. I personally believe this. I believe that, you know, the Bible talks about us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. I believe that true believers, true believers, that we're going to be in these latter days under the blood and the Holy Spirit is going to seal us and protect us. But I'm just going to tell you that being scared of a mark and scared of the Antichrist and all that stuff isn't going to save people. People better really get serious about accepting the Lord, being born again, repenting of their sin and developing a relationship with God and studying his word because you can hear a sermon and get nervous about things and then go out and still end up in hell okay so get serious with god but those that are really truly the lords and they're serious about it god's going to seal us and protect us there's a grace the world it's like sometimes i look at things out there and i think to myself how in the world can society believe something so ridiculously off you look at some of this stuff going on and i'm not going to get into it but you look at it and you think, how can, how can they think that? How can they even believe that? But you have to understand that they're, they're not under the blood. 
Their mind isn't under the blood. They're not sealed by the Holy Spirit. They're susceptible to deception. And you wonder, how is it that preachers can get up for all these years and preach about the mark of the beast? It's all over the internet. And yet the whole world's going to take it. This, you see what I'm saying? Unless you're under God's protection of the blood and the Holy Spirit is sealing you, there's a susceptibleness to that deception. And here's another thing. I'm just, again, I'm just, get, tonight, is this okay? I'm just giving you things to think about. So another thing about the mark of the beast I find interesting is that it says here, I'm going to read it again, verse 9, 10, 11. It says, if anyone worships the beast, his image, and receives the mark on his you know, forehead or hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath. And then it talks about fire and brimstone, which are a reference to hell. So there's this debate right now, and it's been going on where some say, well, you know, Jesus said the only unpardonable sin is to blaspheme the Spirit. So, you know, it, I'm just telling you what's debated. I'm, you draw your own conclusions. And some say, well, you know, if somebody went and they got this mark on their hand and then they, they really repented, they got home, they cut it out of their hand, they asked God to forgive them, you know, God will forgive them. You know, well, I don't know. But I'm just giving you some things to think about tonight. Would God forgive or not? And here's the bigger question is this. Would it be something that there's possibly no going back from? That's a question that needs to be asked. Because it seems to me from reading this that it's pretty severe. But God is merciful and he's forgiving. So I don't know for sure. I'm just giving you some things to think about. You draw your own conclusions. But I wonder if taking this mark, there's no going back. And let's look at some things for a moment. You know as well as I do, because I've talked about this and I've given you guys some information. This is a good video for those that are watching this. If you want to go to um, Skywatch TV, and there's a video called Transhuman that Tom Horn and others have collaborated to expose what's going on. But what started out, you've heard me talk about it, and hopefully you're okay with me talking about it just a few minutes here, but it started out with trying to figure out the super soldier. This is where it all started. So how is it, and it's not just in America, it's around the world, Russia's been, so how is it that you could create like a perfect soldier? And they started looking at different ideas. They're thinking, well, you know, we could, obviously you could take some kind of AI, you could take some kind of robotic, and you could intermix the soldier with the robotic in his life. And I'm just going to tell you all the different things that are going on. Some of it's in theory. Some of it is, is they're trying it. But here's different things. This is where it started, but now it's progressed to this, okay? There's talking of you could take animal DNA and somehow intermix it with human DNA. For example, if you wanted a soldier or even in society to have better vision. So is there a way that they could take some kind of night vision from like maybe a cat or, or a bird of some kind and find that specific DNA that creates that and somehow 
put that in human DNA and would that enhance their vision and maybe even give a night vision? Is there a way to maybe give them superhuman strength, physical strength, or to cause them to not really have to sleep at night? Is there a way to inject nanotechnology? Are you guys familiar with those little... So they can inject all these little tiny little robots that go in and can help heal somebody supposedly if they're injured quicker than what normally that's in theory that's what they're talking about being able to do it's even in discussion i'm just telling you what scientists are talking about it's in discussion to putting like computer chips in the brain that would give you access to knowledge where you didn't have to learn it but now you can speak 15 different languages you have access to information maybe even to tap into like the internet with your mind and just access information you see what i'm saying playing god and this has been going on for a while think about it you've heard about some of it because you've heard about the cloning but see that's just part of it they're, they're trying to figure out how this is why tom horn and them called it transhuman they're trying to figure out a, a way to to graduate humanity to the next phase to make everybody live longer be healthier be stronger and it sounds good in theory but here's here's the problem i'm just giving you things to think about tonight i'm not saying anything real emphatic i'm just putting this out there you draw your own conclusions but see when jesus came and died on the cross he did not die for animals salvation he did not die for angels salvation he died for the descendants of adam that's it And whenever you read in the Bible where Satan tried to change human DNA and those fallen angels started procreating with women in Genesis 6, and this went on for a thousand years, by the way, filled the earth with all these Nephilim and you had all these hybrids. There was no grace about that. Even whenever Joshua and them conquered Canaan, there was no salvation, no grace about the Nephilim, the giants, those that were a hybrid jesus died for for those that are descendants of adam he didn't die for some kind of a hybrid thing does this make sense so i'm wondering this this is just speculating i don't know we're gonna have to see how it all plays out but i wonder if the mark of the beast won't be something that they're going to try to come up with a way of causing human beings maybe the promise is to live longer, to have health that you couldn't normally have, to have abilities. Basically, could it be that it would intermix, whether it's animal and robotics and different things, but it intermixes into somebody to where it actually alters their DNA? I'm just wondering. Where they no longer would even be a descendant of Adam they're, they're supposedly graduated to a superior thing that science has made away. It's just a thought. 
that once, and listen, before somebody discounts that too much, you need to look into this. The technology is there now for a scientist to mess with DNA. There was an individual, and I believe in China, over the last couple years, that wanted to help somebody because in their DNA there was an, a propensity toward a certain illness. So he tried to go in and snip that out of their DNA. Are y'all seeing where this is going here? Once you start playing God and you start messing with creation and you start creating hybrids that God didn't create, I wonder, I don't know, but could it be that the mark changes DNA to the degree that it would no longer be really a pure descendant from Adam? It's some other abomination now of mixture of animal and various DNA within that person that there's some kind of a hybrid. That's something to think about. Okay, another thing to consider, and I've already mentioned this, is that it's an economic mark. And I think I already talked about the 144,000 pretty good. And the fact that the reference to the 144,000, I talked about the immorality, is a reference to idolatry. So they kept themselves pure. And then the final thing, and this, I think I've covered a lot of this already, but Moses and Elijah will be the ones in the last three and a half years. So what you're looking at is the first three and a half years the remnant bride is gone, so God raises up these 144,000 to be his evangelist. But then they're gone. And so the last three and a half years, the only voice that God really has, other than that angel riding in the heavens, is Moses and Elijah in Israel proclaiming the gospel. And the only reason that they survive is because God supernaturally protects them until their mission is accomplished. So this is going to be severe times. And some of the things I'm talking about, if you'll look into this, because this may be new to some people, but science has been trying to mess with human DNA. And it's not just human DNA, it's trying to mess with animal DNA, and it's also trying to mess with crops. It's trying to mess with God's creation. Look into it. So that's something that's interesting. But regardless, the mark is going to be something that brings severe judgment on those that take it. And there may be technology emerge in the days to come that it will, the mark will make more sense. You know, when they talked about the mark of the beast back 50, 60, 100 years ago, it was hard to conceive things. But now with technology like it is, we can understand maybe more of what in the days to come there may be technology emerged that it will make even more sense about the mark so we just have to have biblical knowledge and then watch with that understanding all right so we're going to close things out lord i thank you so much for this time in your word lord i thank you for what you're doing i bless you and lord i pray that this will get where it needs to and, Lord, that lives will be changed. We thank you for your word and everything being accomplished that you will be done through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right.